As the old adage goes, sex sells. And perhaps in no industry is this truer than in fashion, where style through the ages, particularly for women, has been linked to its appeal or attempts to subvert it. Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. Joining us in conversation today from the pod at White City Place, Matthew Holroyd, creative director and founder of Baron and Baroness magazines, and the boundary pushing Reba Mabry. She runs Wet Satin Press, a publisher specializing in erotic zines. They both teach at the University of the Arts, London. This conversation comes hot off the heels of an event they've just hosted at Hoi Polloi in London, exploring sex in fashion, art, and publishing. We're bringing that conversation into the pod to talk about the construct of sexiness in fashion and how it plays out in the media, and who gets the big jobs in the industry. Hi, Ariba. How are you? Have you recovered from Sunday? Yeah, just about. I thought what was really interesting was that for me that came across was one of the main questions was that sexy, um, lots of the, the guests felt that sexy didn't feel intelligent. What do you think about that? Looking sexy. Well, if you look sexy, you are trying to be primal, I suppose, mm-hmm. in what you want. And that seems quite base and unintelligent on a very basic level. But I also think that... You know, looking sexy is just a kind of a way for women to be subjugated to a... Do you think it's got a a female... Yeah, because, you know, a man looking sexy versus a woman looking sexy are two very different constructions. And, you know, for a woman to try and look sexy, it's like a lot of money and time and thought. And there are different, like, style elements and historical elements to constructions of sexiness, where for men, there hasn't been that much change in the stylistic elements of being sexy. So I think, you know, if if a woman is looking sexy, she isn't going to be taken as seriously because she's seen as distracting, perhaps. Mm. Wherever a man's sexy and he's in the workplace, it's fine. Mm. Because a suit suit can be seen as sexy, you know, in a very kind of basic basic way, I suppose. I think in the last 20 years we are seeing um, men... Uh, using sexy in different ways, perhaps, you know, especially when we look at kind of reality TV and is it Jersey Shore Mm. and Geordie Shore and Essex, Mm. those guys on there have taken on waxing to a whole new level and tans. And um, so I I think it's, it is uh, developing a little bit more. And and I I would say that I would consider that sort of form of sexy as perhaps uh, not taken as seriously on the same level as perhaps women who appear sexy are not always taken seriously. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, the thing with that is even that formation of sexiness in men isn't taken as seriously because it's seen as working class. Exactly, yeah. You know? I think that's a really big thing, actually. Because it's, therefore it's anti-intellectual because it's not the, the Oxford do toff you, wearing you, his like, dad's corduroys, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think that that, that is part of the problem with sexiness being taken seriously is that, that it is identified with class. Totally. Yeah, I would agree as well. I think Because, it, you know, if you look at if you look at the, your typical Tory, how she expresses herself as being sexy is very different from, you know, the girl who grew up on a council estate. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is, what is sexy to... You know, we see this in the Theresa May Vogue cover. You know, that formation of sexiness, that kind of Tory woman, 
is very frigid in its possibilities for eroticism in style, I think. But do you think we learn what is sexy through what's in fashion? To an extent, yeah. We, I think we can learn it, but it's, people choose whether they want to then engulf it. You know, you can look in a fashion magazine and you can see, you can see sexiness, you know, you can see an editorial where a model has got her legs open and she's kind of greased up and she's got her tits out. Um, but also the thing with fashion is that it is about fantasy and escapism. So people can look at fashion imagery and not necessarily want to feel that that's a reality that they're going to exist in. You know, they, a lot of people don't look at fashion and think that that's something that they can be. But I think what people do probably associate more with is, I mean, I think now is social media. I think people look at social media and see how other people are dressing and posing and they form more of their own ideas of what they think is sexy through that than maybe fashion imagery now. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone like Kim Kardashian, I think that's a really good example of how she's created her own sexiness. Or someone like Amber Rose or Black China. These are women who have kind of cultivated a new form of sexiness. Yeah, actually, that's a question just about yourself and what you wear, because you wear, I would say, you know, your necklace and the PVC is quite sort of hypersexual mm. in many ways. Do you think there's a kind of difference between um, hypersexual clothing and perhaps revealing clothing? Because your, your clothing isn't always so revealing, no. but it's more... I think, I mean, I, I studied fashion history as well, and I teach fashion, so yeah. I think I, I've always thought about... The, once again, like the history of women and how that's interacted with the history of clothing and what clothing's enabled women uh, and what it's also dismissed from women. And I think uh, I'm very interested in kind of like st the history of kind of like strength in women in fashion, like what's been perceived as like strong women and the stereotypes of strong women in history and how they've dressed. So, um, you know, like a long, a long boot, there's something quite powerful about that, I think especially like a PVC boot. And there's something quite timeless about that. It goes very straight back to kind of the Victorian era, these kind of like big, long boots. I like the kind of strictness of them. And then with a PVC, I like that it's kind of pervy, you know? But also very elegant and kind of timeless at the same time. So you don't have to be revealing to be sexy. And I think for me, I'm very interested in a kind of a juxtaposition of wearing different fabrics. Like I love wearing silk and PVC, mm -hmm. you know, because they're, they're, they're kind of like, they shouldn't really be together. There's something kind of perverted about wearing. I mean, I'm not wearing silk today, but for me, that's something I'm very interested in, like how fabrics work together, like cashmere, silk and PVC and things like that. And, and I was reading one of your interviews with Wonderland magazine. In, in that, you said that you found, I think it was Wonderland magazine, you said that you found that your gender sort of limits your own exploration of sex and mm. perhaps what you are. Can you go into detail a little bit about that? I think it goes back to this idea of what we initially began talking about in that, you know, sexiness is this kind of construct, but sexiness is also like a gendered construct in the sense that you can't, you know, your gender limits your sexuality to the extent that it limits your the possibilities, the way you can interact with other people and how you're going to be mm -hmm. perceived. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to because, you know, for example, in the way that gay men have sex, women can't really have sex in the same way without being labelled or... Not that, you know, gay men also do completely experience these things, but women can't have sex to that extent without maybe putting themselves in more danger because that culture of having sex for women isn't as deemed as acceptable mm -hmm. um, and emotionally having sex like that for a woman is far more exhausting because of the way you may be treated or disrespected by not just yeah, your the, the men dynamics. you're sleeping with but your friends your family mm. 
there's so much kind of shame put on women still for exploring yeah, their sexuality. True. You know, like having a sexuality as a woman is seen as very dangerous still. <clears throat> but, I, but I think that's also the case for gay men. Absolutely. Even, um, especially with sort of AIDS and yeah. HIV. And do you think there will ever come a time when uh, sexuality is not visualised in clothing or even fashion? No, it'll always be there. Do you think? Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think it might change. I mean, we are seeing minimalism has always been quite popular. And perhaps we'll see new ways of defining what sex is without clothing being less revealing or mm. hypersexual, mm. that we might find a sort of beautiful silk dress where you can see the outline of a body, mm. very sexy. Mm. You're listening to Thought Starters with founder of Baron and Baroness Magazines, Matthew Holroyd, and founder of Wet Satin Press, Reba Mabry. I think ultimately the reason sex and fashion are so important is because sex is primal and it is about the body and just the need to want to touch one another and just feel each other's skin. And wanting to touch someone is going to be enhanced by what they're wearing and how they're displaying their body, you know? Mm -hmm. What they're putting their body in is going to entice someone Mm -hmm. even more. And that's why, you know, fetish is such a big thing because it's it's an enhancement of the senses. And fashion is that, you know, it's like it's the sight, but it's also touch. How does sex influence the way we look, do you think? Well, we're always thinking about who we want to be looking at us. So therefore, we're going to play into that, Mm -hmm. you know? Do you You think we do? Yeah, totally. Don't you think that? I think... I think sometimes yes, but I think sometimes I, I think think about self-reflection that I want to but isn't that also just a part of how we want people to look at us because we want to be a reflection of ourselves and that's what we want to project out there yeah yeah. I mean that's how I see it yeah and do you think do you think fashion does affect sexual appeal so we could talk about like Gautier Jean-Paul Gautier is one of my favorite designers who explored sex because he made women look so powerful and like fun you know it was about enhancing what women already have it's like a playground Mm. it wasn't about restricting or kind of making women vulnerable in any way it was the absolute opposite but I think there's lots of designers out there who you see their models walking down the catwalk and they don't look sexy they don't look like they're having fun who which designers don't do you think are not sexy at the moment are not sexy well I probably find the designers uh, I was saying earlier on that I, I my preference is kind of sort of more minimalism, which I find quite sexy, which mm. is probably not seen as that sexy. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think minimalism is incredibly sexy. It's incredibly erotic mm. and simple, and it leaves you to imagine what's underneath, perhaps, mm, mm, instead mm. of it being so upfront. So I think sort of designers who have a kind of minimalistic edge to them um, are, are definitely very erotic such as Celine or... Yeah. Um, but who do you think is not sexy? Who do I not think is sexy? Um, probably some of those British designers. Um, oh, God. Who, who make designers at Debenhams. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not sexy. <laughs> the, the, the clothes, that, for, I would clothes for women over unsexy. the age of 35. Anything that, that my mother has perhaps access to, I would consider not yeah, very well, sexy. Yeah, women, well, women, women get to a point when they 
they become invisible, like the invisible woman, the yeah. menopausal woman. And that's when, you know, you don't see them in TV, you don't hear them on the radio, they don't make music, they're not really in films. And mm. that's when women, unfortunately, almost in society, we see them like as by, they're gone by their cell by day. And that's when, you know, the clothes that were being designed for them were always dreadful. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like comfort clothing, which is really sad. But you can wear something really comfortable and feel fabulous too. You don't need to be wearing a, wearing a corset. What do you think? Because we had Lyra magazine. Mm. Um, what, what do you think about some of these erotic magazines around? Well, I think Lyra magazine's only interested in white women. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, I find it really boring. It's like, a, and also in that way, I find it kind of frigid as well. To be completely honest with you, mm-hmm. that, I mean, this is just my opinion. I mean, my opinion doesn't really matter to anyone, but um, I think it's. Uh, something a bit self-righteous and white women about it, which I don't think we really need in the world. Mm. But what do you think? Um, there's so many. What, Lyra? So many Lyras and erotic magazines currently. Mm. It sort of feels, because obviously I do Baron and Baroness. So. Yeah, but Baron and Baroness is great because it's got an amazing sense of humour and sex should have a sense of humour. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, it's very tongue-in-cheek. Because mm. I'm so funny. You are hilarious. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's quite a lot out there. And yeah, I agree with you. I think they predominantly focus on a certain type of person, certain type of class. I think it's a certain type of person who's got enough of a voice already yeah. and has enough power. So um, yeah. why, are we, why are we catering to their needs more? I mean, Baron and Baroness were a personal project, really. We're targeted. You don't need loads <laughs> of readers. You don't, want to, you don't want to be Love magazine, do you? No, and I think those publications, I'm not sure... Having worked on more commercial publications, it's, there's, um, I think it's better to work for a magazine that targets a kind of niche area. The mainstream's boring, isn't it? Well, I think it's just also a lot of wastage. Do you really get a message across? No, I mean, what, what is what is the mainstream message in fashion at the moment, Matthew? Tell me what it is. It's very postmodern. Is and it? It's very um, about appropriating what happened name me, in the last name, decade. Name me five stylists who would be able to explain to you what postmodernism is. I mean, maybe before, Max Perman. He, he would. He yeah. yeah he'd he know what. Art. Yeah. He'd he'd get what postmodernism is. So you know, Matthew. Yes. The current landscape of sexuality and fashion. Yes. I I mean, what I got from Sunday's talks was that I feel. I was asking a lot of questions because I'd recently discovered in the last year the Cyborg Manifesto, mm. which I... It's great. Is, is, is amazing. And, and I agree with many of her points, mm. uh, Donna Harrow's points, that identity politics is very limiting and further excludes communities and uh, individuals. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really apparent, actually, when we did the talks from, you know, we had a variety of people uh, discussing sex and what what do you think about that? Do you think feminism and LGBT rights are sort of limiting and further excludes? Do you think we should be sort of arguing for affinity and human rights as opposed to female rights or LGBT yeah, I think rights? We should, I think humanism is a very underrated yeah. movement. And I think that people, I just believe people can be whatever they want to be. People can be whatever they want to be as long as there's consent and people are kind to one another. People can label themselves however they want. Well, that's what I'm she, she argues, that we, and we all make our own mistakes. And at the end of the day, we're human yeah. and we should be arguing for that. Yes, and that's what I believe in. I think, you know, if someone wants me to call them she, I'm absolutely happy to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, I believe that rules are there to be broken, to be remade. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we police our language too much 
we end up just talking about pointless things yes. rather than talking about real progression. Yes. And that's how I see it. I think that now we're living in like a very, very, very right wing times. I've noticed a real trend of people getting very upset about the minutia of language and having very long discussions about it when really we should just be talking about real progression and how to deal with the alt-right and how people who voted for Brexit really feel rather than talking about whether someone on television misgendered someone, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course that that person who's been misgendered's pain is real, but ultimately there's bigger things we need to be getting together and working towards. And that can be done through the lens of talking about sex because Mm -hmm. sex is something that controls our society so much, especially in fashion. And I think the landscape of fashion and sex at the moment isn't something particularly exciting. Mm -hmm. And I think if we think about very mainstream... Yeah, fashion is, I have to say, fashion has become very unexciting. And I think also if we think about big mainstream fashion at the moment. I think we're missing those kind of interesting conceptual designers as they were and then kind of the yeah, sort and of also noughties. Get, but also the uh, interesting fashion editors and people who aren't just obsessed with making big corporate fashion houses happy. Because what we have now in mainstream fashion, every big supermodel is the daughter of an aristocrat. It's, uh, yes, it's very elitist. You have people like... Um, Kendall Jenner and Gigi mm. Hadid, they're American aristocrats. And here you have people like Cara Delevingne, Adria Raboa, mm-hmm. um, Jean Campbell. These are all women who are basically aristocrats. Mm-hmm. You know, at least in the 90s, we had like kind of homegrown British models like Naomi Campbell and Kate Moss, where now everything's laden with this like very intense elitism. And I think in terms of modelling... Yes, it, it, it's quite old-fashioned, really. It's very old-fashioned and it's very... And I, I don't understand where, where did that come from? Well, when did, when, when did that suddenly well, you can, become so it's, a, it's basically buying a career, isn't it? I think Alice Delau is at fault. Was Alice, Alice Delau, Delau, yeah, she's a big aristo, isn't she? Um, but I think also it's this idea of, you know, modelling should actually be something completely democratic because it's based on something that you don't have any control over, the genes that you've been born into. Mm-hmm. And even though modelling's complicated and can be terrible, I think that's a good thing about modelling. It's like you yes. can come from any background and you can become... A big model, but now we live in a society where it, it's, the people it's about, we aspire to be are people who've been born into fucking loads of money and connections. But it's also about the gains, isn't it? Yeah. So if, if you use that model and they have a sort of aristocratic background, yeah, then that's sort of a, a surplus value mm, mm. to your campaign. Mm. But you know, we just see a lot of these models getting huge amounts of uh, possibilities and opportunities that wouldn't be granted for people if they didn't come from money as well. Mm-hmm. They're, they're literally given careers and um. That's something that we see in fashion. You know, like Kendall Jenner just shot all of Love magazine. I mean, it's it's totally bizarre to me mm-hmm. that, you know, talent and hard work, not to sound like a Tory here, has to be appreciated and not just what you're born into. Mm-hmm. Your ideas your ideas should be what define you. Not, okay, hard, fuck the word hard work. I don't like that. The ideas that you cultivate should be what define you in your career. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't have any ideas... Well, I think also what's what's limited fashion a little bit as this sort of work placement system. Oh yes, that, that um, you get a job through doing work placement. But you can only do that if you're rich. Yeah, yeah, if you're rich, and also it's about being nice. And I don't think sometimes you having, don't want to be nice. Do having you having good ideas is about being nice? No, it's not about being nice. Uh, and, and that's a big problem. You're mm. seeing sort of very nice assistants becoming that fashion editor. That means their references aren't interesting, their ideas of sexuality aren't interesting, mm-hmm. gender, because it's just nice, 
nice people who know how to tick off the boxes and make the corporate sponsors of the magazines happy. Exactly. And that's what's happening. Yeah. And that's why we just have like boring, stagnant images of women in magazines still. Mm-hmm. Because people, we have all these kind of career women and some men in fashion who are fashion editors and photographers and stylists who are just obsessed with wanting to like jump through the loopholes. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, well, I think I think you definitely, I think something like Vogue has become very stagnant because of the whole work experience yes. and social social class uh, that the rich perhaps and the upper middle class have been the ones who could survive their vogue internship and that that leads into jobs but i do think that the independent magazines have become more interesting partly because people have had to make their own magazines they haven't been able to afford to work at days for free for six months yeah and it's become um you know we're starting to think about the fashion shoot fashion shoots that have meaning yes uh, the, the conceptual because the most interesting see. stylists and people making editorials now are the people who have not jumped through those hoops yes exactly because they've never had to work at a magazine where they've said okay we're going to do a completely sponsored completely sponsored uh, editorial now and we only have 10 outfits and you have to work with it I mean that's not creative mm-hmm. that's a fake job mm-hmm. that is like a not that's not a real job if you go on strike tomorrow no one's going to give a shit That was founder of Baron and Baroness Magazine's Matthew Holroyd and founder of Wet Satin Press, Reba Mabry. This has been Thought Starters, recorded at White City Place. Thought Starters is a DNN Co. project for White City Place. Produced by David Michon and recorded by Antonio Fernandez and edited by Claire Crofton. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, Find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps people find this podcast. We'll see you again in two weeks' time. Bye.